Hi, this is Allison Sheridan of the NoSilicast podcast, hosted at podfeed.com, a technology geek podcast with an ever so slight Apple bias. Today is Sunday, September 6, 2020, and this is show number 800. Well, this week, Steve and I escaped the blistering Los Angeles heat. It's about 97 degrees Fahrenheit peaked at our house today. So we chose to go to San Diego to Lindsay and Nolan's house, where it tapped out at 113 degrees Fahrenheit yesterday, and I think uh, a mild 111 today. Luckily, they have air conditioning and solar panels to drive that air conditioning and a pool if that isn't cool enough. So it was actually much more comfortable to be here than at home at our house without air conditioning or a pool. That also means that I had the wonderful distraction of Forbes and Sienna all weekend. So this show is brought to you mostly by Marty, Jill, and Ed with one contribution by me. It's a great show because of them. Let's start out with a review by Marty. Hi, Castaways. This is Marty Gensius, also known in the chat room as Drunk Nick Nolte, a.k.a. Hedley Lamar, a.k.a. Hulk Smash. I enjoy being one of those early adopters. It's provided me with boxes full of tech that I've tried and then never used again. It's a bad habit, but one of a few that I still indulge in, so cut me some slack. I did a lot of air travel prior to COVID, and my collection of old tech fits the history of improved sound and comfort. I have terrible tinnitus from genetics, too many rock concerts, and years of radio work so I generally look for something that removes jet engine noise. I have a variety of headphones, including a pair of Beats headphones I got from my son's back-to-school deal, and a set of Bose wireless noise cancellation headphones, which are my go-to for long flights. I've owned Altic, Jaybird, and Apple AirPod earbuds. One time, I found myself in an airport, having forgot my AirPods, and using a vending machine to purchase some PowerBeat Pros. I just couldn't face a five-hour flight without a sound source. For the longest time, I settled on Bose wireless over-the-ear noise cancellation headphones for the best on-plane experience and best noise reduction. My downside is that you can't slip them into your pocket, and the carrying case requires lots of fumbling and a place to stuff it when it comes time to deplane. When Apple came out with AirPods Pro and noise cancellation, I was anxious to see if they could suit me watching films on a plane and without the sound being drowned out by engine noise. The result? Boys was the best at noise cancellation, but the Apple AirPod Pros were sufficient to silence enough of the engine noise that I could substitute the AirPod Pros for the Bose and keep it all in my pocket when I travel. So naturally, I wanted to see and hear Amazon's entry into the wireless earbud market. So I purchased a pair of Amazon's Echo Buds with Bose Active Noise Reduction. The price point of $129 was about half the cost of Apple AirPod Pros and about the same as medium quality wireless earbuds. The first thing I noticed upon unboxing is the charging case. Echo Buds charging case is roughly twice the size of the original AirPod case, but still pocket manageable. The case is charged using a standard micro USB with a small charging light that seconds as a Bluetooth light. 
Charging gives you five hours of playback, and 15 minutes of quick charging will give you an additional two hours of playback. You can return the earbuds to the case for four more full charges, giving you up to 20 hours of playback. The clamshell opens to reveal the earbuds that are magnetically held in their ports. They are shaped with an in-ear post that are part of the larger earbud housing that fills the ear from the tragus, the little pointy part on the outside of the ear canal, to the antitragus, the back part of the hollow of your ear. Each earbud has two microphones on its surface and one in the ear post to assist in clarity of your requests and to reduce noise. The earbud fills the open area of your external ear and fits snugly resting in your ear. They sit flush to the ear so no white alien antenna projections like AirPods. Setting up the Echo Buds is easy by connecting the charging case and earbuds with the Amazon Echo app on your smartphone. Part of the process of setting up the Echo Buds is fitting each bud with the best size ear tip to provide the best fit and the best sound clarity. Working through your setup, you test one ear and then the other. There are three tip sizes provided, and that's convenient because apparently my left ear canal is bigger than my right ear canal. Because the Echo Buds fill the whole open ear, there's a bit of getting used to it if you've been using smaller earbuds. But in their favor, the size makes the fit secure. The Echo Buds are shipped with three pairs of wing tips or collars that you can add to the housing for a snugger fit. I found that I could get along without the additional wing tips to hold them in my ears. The Amazon Alexa app allows you to do a variety of settings, including turning on or off the Bose active noise reduction, establishing the amount of pass-through of outside noises, even making them amplified above normal levels or turning off pass-through altogether. In settings, you can also set the equalizer level should you want more bass, mid-range, or treble. You can redo your ear sizing test and set the level of side tone so you can hear your voice while on a call. The most valued settings are the tap controls. Each bud has its own two tap controls, a double tap or a press and hold, allowing for a total of four set options. Tap controls include toggling between Bose Active Noise Reduction and Pass-Through or Pass-Through Pause to stop music and hear the outside world, activating Siri Voice Assistant for those using iPhones or Alexa, play or pause your media, jumping to the next track or returning to a previous track. I really do like the variety of touch actions that are available on this device. As a default, removing either of the Echo Buds out of your ears will pause the media until you're ready to replace them. I am an iPhone owner, and using the Echo Buds with the Siri Assistant option is, well, as good as you can expect to get from Siri. I've always had problems with HomeKit, and setting up automation then compounded by the flightiness of Siri, the system never really worked for me. Where the Echo Buds really shines is using them with Alexa commands. I did manage to set up a few light bulbs around the house that were activated with Alexa and the Echo Buds run flawlessly through voice command. I found having Alexa in your ears useful for adding things to my schedule, calling up podcasts to listen to, asking about facts when questions pop into my mind, and adding things to my grocery list. Whatever popped into my head, I gave it a try through the Echo Buds. 
where I really started using the Echo Buds was for initiating phone calls. Sound quality for phone calls combined with the noise reduction is better than most earbuds. I use the Echo Buds in the evening to listen to streaming media. My wife likes to go to bed early, so I use earbuds to eliminate the noise coming from my office and drifting into the bedroom. Here's where I run into problems with Echo Buds. Bluetooth switching is a challenge should I go from the Bluetooth connection with my desktop and want to switch to my phone. Apple has made some advances in macOS Big Sur and in iOS 14 that allow for seamless switching of AirPods from device to device. With the Echo Buds, once I leave my computer, I have to wake up my phone and connect the Bluetooth to the Echo Buds. Although it's an inconvenience, the switch from device to device can be pretty quick, although not automatic. Regarding the sound quality, in all honesty, I may not be the best judge, considering the damage already done to my hearing. I ran the Echo Buds through my series of sound checks. Prince, The Rolling Stones, King Crimson, Nine Inch Nails, Queen, Talking Heads, you get the idea. And I was sufficiently happy with the dynamics of what I heard. I know there are some audiophiles who will have much more sensitive ear than I, but for most of us, they will sound great. Balance the good sounding quality with Alexa integration and the reasonable price point, and you have a good package. So will the noise reduction on Echo Buds be sufficient to overcome the plane engine noise? I'll have to wait and try it on my next flight. From what I can tell from testing on the ground, Excessively loud noises still make their way through, even though I have active noise reduction. I don't think Echo Buds will reduce jet noise as well as my Bose noise cancellation headphones, or as well as my AirPod Pros. For me, at this point, these won't go into my basement tech box mausoleum yet. The Echo Buds will be my good second pair of earbuds and may take first place as I learn to integrate them more with Alexa. I love getting the non-Apple perspective, especially from someone who really knows the Apple products and who has a radio voice like Marty. It sounds like the Amazon Echo Buds are a really good alternative to the uh, AirPods Pro. I think Marty said they were $129 in his review, but by the time you're hearing this, um, well, actually, I can't guarantee it's when you're hearing it. When I'm talking to you about them, these actually dropped down to $90 on Amazon. I mean, that's almost worth having a spare pair. I won't have any hesitation recommending these to friends who don't want to or can't shell out the high price for AirPods Pro. To be honest, the AirPods Pro don't fit in my ears that well, so eh, maybe I'll consider getting a pair of these. The last thing I would ever do is give any kind of medical advice on the podcast. I'm going to talk about a way to buy eyeglasses without going to an optometrist, but I am not saying you shouldn't go to the eye doctor for annual exams. Let me repeat that. I am not saying you shouldn't go to the eye doctor for annual exams. I'm a big believer in annual eye exams. I've been going to a great optometrist's office nearby for over 30 years, and I love the staff there. I get my annual eye exam there, and they've been very thorough and actually spotted a few problems over the years, causing me to follow up with an ophthalmologist. But this optometrist's office is in a mall in a very swanky part of town, so I've always wondered whether I was overpaying for my eyeglasses. Sure felt like it. They said my prescription was difficult because I had a wicked astigmatism and I also wanted progressive lenses to help with my close vision. 
Evidently, based on the price they were charging me, these lenses required specialized artisans from a small Tibetan village to grind them accurately. Add in scratch-resistant coating, some anti-glare with tip and tacks, they cost more than most people's house payments. Many moons ago, armed with my prescription from my optometrist, I went to one of those one-hour eyeglass places in the mall, and it was a complete and utter disaster. While they were super cool and let me watch my lenses being ground, and the price was much lower than my swanky optometrist, they simply could not grind the lenses so that I could actually see. Since that is the original problem to be solved, after two tries, I made them give me my money back. And that's why I've been paying through the nose for the last 30 plus years to my swanky mall optometrist's office. Last year, when I met with a cataract surgeon, he said that by replacing my cataract-filled natural lens with a human-made lens, he could fix my astigmatism at the same time. He explained that the astigmatic effect is caused by the lens or the cornea or both in combination. As luck would have it, my astigmatism was caused by a little bit of both. So putting in a normal lens would only fix the part in my natural lens. So we went for the super-duper enhanced lens that would compensate for the astigmatic effect in my cornea. The price of upgrading to the astigmatism-fixing lens was another couple of house payments, but my astigmatism was gone. I swear there's a reason I'm telling you all about my cataract surgery, so bear with me. When I had the surgery, I chose to have human-made lenses that set my focal distance to 50 centimeters. That's 19 inches, which means I can see a computer screen perfectly and I can read pretty close up. That means I have to wear glasses for distance vision, but obviously computer distance is the most important distance. Am I right? Well, after getting the human-made lenses in both eyes, I went back to my trusty optometrist, figuring I would be able to finally get nice, cheap glasses. Guess what? With progressive lenses, that's, you know, bifocals without a line, no astigmatism correction at all, anti-scratch, anti-anti-glare coating, and plastic lenses so they'd be light, the least expensive frames I could buy in their store, the glasses cost $584. I couldn't believe it. I was like, wait a minute, they're supposed to be like 50 bucks or something now. Nope, $584. Now, you may be asking yourself why I've gone down memory lane with you about my vision and the cost of my glasses. It's because I have found a solution to this problem. During the current time, six of us get together once a week on a Zoom call in what we call Wine Wednesday. You may have noticed that even with wine, every conversation you get, uh, every conversation you get into eventually devolves into talking about the pandemic. I didn't want that to happen on these weekly calls, so I insisted that we have an agenda every week. This has been hugely successful. We have avoided the topic that just seems to consume everything right now, and I highly recommend having an agenda for your fun time on video calls with friends. On our agenda, we've had people talking about good books they've read, the best way to view celestial objects, LTE versus 5G speeds, how to decide whether to get it, earthquake insurance, and more. One week, our friend Lori asked to have eyeglasses added to the agenda. When it came time for our discussion, she showed off a pair of eyeglasses that she bought entirely through an online service called Zenny Optical at zennyoptical.com. They suited her perfectly, and then she told us the price. I'm going to tease you with that, and I'm going to get to it at the very end of my story. Just like everyone else, I'm trying very hard to eliminate any reason to go inside any stores unless I absolutely have to. I depend on my existing glasses, of course, and I was worried, what would I do if they broke? 
I mean, I don't want to go into a, into the 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 mall, the, even a swanky mall, to go get my get new glasses. Now that's always been a fear, but buying a backup pair just didn't make the budget cut. When Lori told us about Zenny, I thought maybe they could make me a spare set so I wouldn't have to worry. Before you can get glasses from Zenny Optical, you have to have gone to a real eye doctor, gotten your eyes checked out from that health per- perspective. Remember the one I'm not adver- I'm not advising you about. Anyway, and then they have to have given you your prescription. You're going to need that prescription to supply the numbers to Zenny so they can grind your lenses. I think when most of us get our prescriptions, we look at the numbers for a brief moment and then file the prescription away pretending we had any kind of t- clue what it meant. If we ever go to a new place for glasses, we'll just like wave it at them and they'll know what to do with it. But I figured if I'm going to be typing these into a website, I better understand what they mean so I know what I'm doing. For each eye, you get a couple of cryptic measurements. One of them is sphere. We all know our eyes aren't spheres, so I'm not really sure why they chose that name. Sphere turns out to be the diopter. (laughs) Well, gee, Mr. Wizard, that's a big help. According to my trusty dictionary, diopter is, quote, a unit of refractive power that is equal to the reciprocal of the focal length in meters of a given lens, unquote. All right, we got a few photographers in the crowd here, so this might be coming into focus for us. Let's see what I did there. Anyway, I think I can make this sense, uh, make sense of this sphere number, this diopter number. On my post-cataract surgery prescription that I already talked about, both of my eyes say minus two for sphere. The minus sign means I'm nearsighted. If it's positive on yours, you're farsighted. But the two is the diopter, and it's supposed to be the reciprocal of the focal length in meters. If we invert the two, that's one half. That's 0.5 meters. And 0.5 meters is 50 centimeters, which is the distance to a computer or exactly what the cataract surgeon said it should be. All right. I know that was that was some rough math doing, uh, you know, uh, inverting numbers and everything. That was that was actually uh, crazy to do reciprocals. All right. But we've got some even more annoying terms, and they're really important to get straight when you're ordering your glasses online. You'll see cylinder and axis. Remember, we were just saying it was a sphere, but it wasn't really a sphere. Well, guess what? They're not cylinders either. But you will see cylinder and axis, which according to allaboutvision.com, describe the magnitude and rotation of your astigmatism. You'll have two values for this measurement, one for each eye, and you're going to have to type that into the Zenny website. While prescriptions are very helpful, they do not say right and left eye. That would be way too easy, because doctors want to flaunt the fact that they were forced to learn Latin, so the two astigmatism measurements are written as OD and OS. Now, for all the left-handed people in the audience, I apologize for the following terms. OD means right eye, and it's an abbreviation of the Latin oculus dexter. And OS means left eye and stands for oculus sinister. Why does left always get a a bad rap? I don't know. But I said I apologize. It's not my fault. All right. Now that you know that your left eye is sinister, you'll know which eye is which when providing your prescription to Zenny or any other glasses manufacturer. But there's another really important measurement they make at the optometrist's office, and it's not on your prescription. They don't print it out to you. You need to know how far apart your eyes are, and in some cases, how far each one is from your nose. The distance between your pupils is called pupillary distance. Glasses have a sweet spot where you want your eyeballs, so this is a very critical measurement. Zenny has a great instructional page on how to measure this distance. In words, 
They tell you to look in a mirror with a ruler on your forehead and close each eye as you work on measuring it. They've also got a nice graphic showing what they mean. They even tell you that the average range of PD, pupillary distance, for adults and kids is different. And they give you those values, kind of a range. So if you measure it and you get like 95 centimeters, you know you're doing it wrong because it's usually more like 62. So it's good to have that value so you know whether you're reading the ruler correctly. And if the words, graphics, and those values didn't get you there, they've even got a how-to video. If you have someone to help you, they have a whole nother set of instructions about how they should measure it on you. They even have a ruler you can download and print. So you should be able to figure out what your pupillary distance is. Now, things get a little bit trickier if you want progressive lenses like I did. I suspect that with close vision, the location of your pupils in each lens is even more critical. So you need to tell them the distance from the center of your nose to your pupil for each eye. They call that dual PD. I discovered when Steve measured my two eyes that I'm really not symmetrical at all. In fact, one of my eyes was so far away from my nose, it was outside of the range of values that Zenny would even accept. I guess I'm a mutant, and I'm, I, I'm, I'm sure you've all noticed this abnormality in me, and it's very sweet that none of you have ever mentioned it. All right, now that we've got all this, this work done, understanding our prescriptions, it's time to look at frames at Zenny Optical. Some of you may be asking yourself, you know, why didn't you go to Warby Parker? That's an online eyeglasses service that was heavily advertised by podcasters. Well, a while ago, I did check them out. But, you know, the selection of frames was so limited, I didn't find anything I liked. At Zenny, the problem is the absolute reverse. They have so many frames. You can search by eight different shapes, 19 different colors, eight different materials. You could even filter by size or whether the frame would work for that dual PD thing we talked about for progressive lenses. There is basically an abundance of riches here. When you favorite a couple of frames you like, you can then make a little video of yourself wearing the frames. It's kind of like setting up Face ID on an iPhone. You look slowly left, then slowly right, as they create a 3D video of your face. You can make lots of these little videos and test different frames with different lighting. I really wanted to know whether red frames would look crazy on me or awesome. But with some frames, it was hard to tell the color from black, but the red frames clearly looked awesome. You might also want to make uh, a few videos to make sure your head was at the right angle to see how well the frames fit your face. I did one where the glasses looked like they would fall down my nose, the particular frames I had chosen. Now, if you're in a physical store, you might try in a pair of frames, and if they slid down your nose, you just put them back and try another one. But with Zenny, you can't really do that, so you do need to know if they're going to fall down your nose. Luckily, there's actually a numerical value that defines the size and shape of the frames, and Zenny shows them to you in each frame that you choose. For example, did you know that frames have a nose bridge width measurement? I did not know that. If you look at your existing glasses that fit you well, you'll see a number, then a square, and then another number. My existing glasses say 52 square 17. The first number is the width of the lenses, and the second is the bridge width. The glasses that were sliding down my nose in the little try it on video were way wider than the 17 millimeters that fit me, so the video really helped me not buy poor fitting glasses, but poorly fitting glasses, I should say. But knowing that number is even more important. As I peruse the plethora of frame options, I use the, the Zenny interface to filter my choice by lens and bridge widths, which really helped me narrow down my options. 
Another helpful thing to measure for yourself is the total width of the frame. I suggest keeping an eye on that if you've got a head maybe on the large or small side so, you know, you don't look silly in your new glasses. The temple length is another thing to measure, which could tell you if they'll be too long or short to bend around behind your ears. All right, it's finally time for the big reveal. I did buy those those red glasses. Here is the price breakdown. The frames were $7. I paid $28 for anti-reflective coating. That's so I don't look stupid if, you know, with the light on them. I paid $0 extra to have 100% UV protection. I paid $4 for a pair of matching clip-on sunglasses and $2 to have my phone engraved, uh, my phone number engraved on the inside of the temple in, cl- in case I lose those glasses. Out the door, shipped to my house with tip and tax, not having gone near any humans, I paid a grand total of $45.75. Let's recall, my last glasses from my swanky mall optometrist were $584. That's almost 13 times what I paid for my Zenny glasses. I figured these glasses would feel cheap and cruddy, couldn't possibly have the prescription set correctly. But when they arrived, they were perfect. I love these glasses. I actually stopped wearing my $600 pair, and I wear the inexpensive Zennies all the time. And remember, with the perfectly matched clip-ons for the extra $3.95, I have sunglasses too for $46. All right, let's get a slightly different perspective on the Zenny purchasing experience. You might be thinking, well, Allison, you just got lucky and they turned out to be perfect, but what would you do if you got the glasses and they didn't work well for you? It's a valid question, and perhaps Steve's experience will put our mind at ease. Steve was intrigued by my experience and decided to buy Zenny glasses of his own. Steve doesn't wear glasses most of the day, but he likes them for distance, such as when driving or watching TV. As one does, he likes to play on his laptop while he watches TV, and it's hard to read the computer with distance glasses on. He only recently started enjoying the benefits of progressive lenses. When I chose progressive lenses at my swanky mall optometrist, I had two different versions to choose from, regular distance and computer distance. But on the Zenni website, you get three options of how far up the close vision part goes. They have three different versions, and I've got full descriptions in the show notes so you can go see them. Of course, there's a link in the show notes to where they're described by Zenni. So, but let me just kind of paraphrase them a little bit. They say that near-range progressives have a bigger area at the bottom for close-up work. Mid-range progressives have a smaller near-range area, but a bigger area at 10 to 14 feet of focus. And the third option, standard progressives, has no explanation of what you can see. When Steve bought his pair of Zenny glasses, he chose mid-range because the site suggested them as good as for watching TV. Apparently, the TV viewers they're familiar with sit up straight in their chair and don't recline like normal people. When Steve got his glasses, he had to tilt his head down to look through the far vision part, and he found that very annoying. I tell you all of this because I'm sure at least half of you are wondering, what if you get your glasses and you don't like them? Steve contacted Zenny, and for no charge, not even shipping costs, they let him return the glasses and reorder them as standard progressives instead. Isn't that crazy? While he was at it, he actually ordered a different set of frames that were slightly narrower because the first pair looked a wee bit wide on him. He got the replacement pair in a couple of weeks, and they are perfect. Now, Steve went for fancy metal frames, so his glasses were way more expensive than mine. Out the door, 
he paid $92.80. The last time he went to the swanky mall optometrist, he only had the lenses replaced in his existing glasses, no frames, and those lenses alone were $578. So he got glasses and frames for $92.80. I mean, he could like sit on them every couple of months and still save money. Now, I never thought buying glasses online would be a viable option because there was no way I'd be able to get a good fit or be able to tell how they looked on my face or would actually be able to see well with them, but Zenny has won me over. I do worry who will adjust my glasses if I bend them. You know, for one-thirteenth the cost, I just buy new ones if I do that. I do have one warning about Zenny, though. They start sending you emails with pictures of glasses, and the, at the price they charge, I'm pretty sure I'm going to be buying another pair for different occasions. Ooh, look, they even have prescription safety glasses. I need those. By the way, did I mention you should still get your eyes checked by a real eye doctor? This week's hero of the show is Richard Piazza, who decided that now was the perfect time to become a patron of the Podfeed podcast. He went to podfeed.com slash Patreon, and he signed up to pledge money to help support the show. This show is a labor of love, as are all the Podfeed podcasts, but Richard and others like him demonstrating financially that they get real value from the content, well, that really makes a difference to me. If you too find value in the show like Richard does, please consider joining Patreon to show your support. Hi, this is Jill from the North Woods. About two years ago, I went to work with my garage door wide open, and I came home and panicked. Crime isn't too bad near my house, but there are a lot of crimes of opportunity. I have a decent bike in there and would really hate to lose it. There's also some power tools and some ladders. I reviewed my camera and found that no one went into my garage all day. What a relief. But after that, I would constantly think, did I leave my garage door open? So I did some minor things like get a rocker sensor from SmartThings that would tell me if the door was open or closed. And that relieved some of my panic. But it didn't really help that much because it wouldn't notify me if my door opened or closed. Or if I had left the door open, I really couldn't do anything about it other than to drive home. I really wanted notifications as soon as my garage door is opened. And wouldn't it be nice if it told me if the garage door was open for a really long time? I might be doing yard work and forget to close it. I checked into a few garage door openers, and some of them are complete systems where you have to replace the actual mechanism opening your garage door, and some of the reviews just weren't that great. Some of them cost a little bit more. Some of them had significant security concerns. This is a big deal. It grants you access to my car and my bike and my house. I wanted something a little bit more safe. I came across Maras Garage Door Opener. It was exceptionally low cost for a smart device. It works with most garage door openers, so no major hardware changes were required. It supports HomeKit, Amazon, Google, SmartThings, and If This Then That. The formulas in IFTTT allow you to tell your voice systems to open or close the garage door, or you can set a timer, which are also the same functions the app itself has from the company. You can check and control your garage at any time. You can get notifications if your garage door is open or closed or open for a long time or open overnight. The installation was easy, apart from my fear of ladders. 
It took me under 30 minutes. There is a magnet sensor that can determine if the door is opened or closed. It plugs into a regular electrical socket and you connect the device to your phone through an app and then it connects to your Wi-Fi. That's it. It's done. I have to say that in the time of this pandemic, it's really been handy because I can leave things for people to pick up in my garage and just open the door when they get there. I can also ask delivery people to just put things in my garage. It's silly how the little things make you feel safer. You can find Maras devices online or at Home Depot. It costs around $50. Find out more about this item and other smart devices they build at maras.com. Thank you. I love Jill's reviews. She has such a great perspective on trying gear and software that solves real problems, but then throws in the funny little things like her fear of ladders, which I personally call that a rational fear. Well, a while back, Jill did a review of an app called Birds Near Me. This weekend, a hawk flew over Lindsay's yard, and I confidently said, that's a red-tailed hawk. To which Lindsay replied, no, Mom, it's a red-shouldered hawk. I found that out using Birds Near Me from Jill. Okay, fine. I don't know if I like Jill teaching my daughter to one-up me on stuff. Oh, well. Well, in any case, next up, we've got Ed Tobias, also known as Mr. Ed, in our Slack at podfeet.com slash Slack, and in our chat room at podfeet.com slash chat for the live show. Anyway, Mr. Ed brings us another solution to getting non-HomeKit compatible devices into HomeKit. And he goes a step further than I did, and he does put his Wisecams into HomeKit. In episode 799, Allison told us how to install Hoobs onto a Synology. Hoobs was the HomeBridge interface that allows non-HomeKit compatible IoT devices to show up in your Home app uh, via this interface. She also mentioned that it could be done on a Raspberry Pi and worked with Pat Dengler, uh, and it, it ended up being a lot of terminal commands. Well, thanks to Bart, Allison, and Helma, and my copy of the Taming the Terminal ebook, I am not afraid of the terminal app anymore. So I wanted to give it a try. I decided instead of using Hoobs to go to homebridge.io and download it directly from there and see how difficult that was. After going to homebridge.io, I scrolled down the page a ways and found how to install HomeBridge on a Raspberry Pi. There's a download link, but right below that there's a getting started link. That's where you want to click. That gives you step-by-step -step instructions on how to install HomeBridge on a Raspberry Pi. It's actually quite easy and I felt disappointed I didn't actually crack open the terminal once. So I'm not sure exactly what Allison and Pat were doing, and I'll have to ask her about that later, but I found this to be a very easy solution. What you do is you click on the link for the latest version of Homebridge to install on the Raspberry Pi. It's on the Get Starting page. Once it's downloaded, then you download the app Etcher, which does a job of flashing that uh, Raspberry Pi image to an SD card. It's pretty straightforward. It's a simple app and uh, it was quite easy to use. The link to the Etcher app is on the same page as the instructions. So once that was downloaded, I flashed the SD, mini SD card with the Raspberry Pi Homebridge image, removed the 
SD card, plugged it into my Raspberry Pi. I plugged that into power and turned it on. Now, I, you can connect via Wi-Fi, but I found that to be a little bit problematic sometimes. So I used a direct connect via Ethernet. I connected it to my network switch. There's no need to bother hooking up a keyboard or a monitor to the Raspberry Pi because it just hooks up directly to Ethernet and then you connect it via the web. Once powered up, you simply go to a browser on your laptop and you type in the local link for the Homebridge app, which they give you in the instructions. Once there, you can log in with the admin password, which to start off with is admin for the username and admin for the password, which I recommend you change later. And then you've got your full user interface, which is quite easy to see. At the Homebridge uh, interface, you click on the tab that says plugins and you can add all the plugins you want. Like Allison, I have a plethora of WISE products throughout my house, including four WISE cams, one of them being a pan cam. Unlike Allison, though, I did want to take the chance and try the uh, real-time streaming protocol to add uh, to Homebridge using the camera FFmpeg uh, plugin. So what I did was I took two of my WISE cams and I took out the SD card and saved it and tucked it away nice and safe so I could go back to the original firmware if I needed to or wanted to. And I took some new SD cards and flashed the real-time streaming protocol firmware from WISE onto those. Yeah, it's a really easy process uh, and there is a uh, link that I can provide in the show notes that goes directly to the WISE support page which tells you exactly how to do it. So it's not a, it's not a problem at all. Once you flash the firmware to the SD card, install it in your Wise Cam, then you go back to your Wise app and you open up that camera. You go to the little gear icon in the upper right corner of that page and go to Advanced Settings. In the Advanced Settings, you'll find at the very bottom of the page of Advanced Settings another button called RTSP. So you click on that, and that takes you to the RTSP section of the camera, now that you have the new firmware in there. In the RTSP page, you have to enter a username and a password, which is used to build the URL, which will allow the camera FFmpeg plugin to access the camera. So you pick a username and a password, and you say Generate URL. Then you click the button that says Copy. After generating the URL in the WISE app, it's always a good idea to check it out and see if it works. Make sure that the firmware got in the SD card okay and that your your WISE cam is working okay. So one easy way to do that is to uh, take that URL and plug it into a viewing app. I use Video Land Client, VLC. Uh, it's easy to find. I think it's on the App Store. I'm not sure. If not, you can find it on the Internet quite easily. In the Video Land Client app, under the File menu, you'll click on Open Network. That brings up a window which allows you to plug in the URL. You just paste in the URL that you copied from the WISE app, hit the Return, and it should bring up another window showing the output of your WISE camera. With that done, it's time to set up Homebridge. Go to the Homebridge page 
using your browser and click on plugins, you can search for Camera FFmpeg and do the install on Camera FFmpeg. Once the install is complete, click on the button that says Settings, and that'll bring up a page where you can put in the information like uh, the name of the camera you want to give the name, and then also the URL. Before you paste in the URL from the WISE app into that field, you need to add a dash I space before that. It says that in the page, but just to make sure you do that, because otherwise it won't work. You do that and then paste in the URL you copied from the WISE app. And then you, I clicked on the enable audio because it also allows you to then listen to the audio from the camera. And then hit save. Once you hit and save, you're back at the Homebridge main UI page. You click on the power button in the upper right corner to reboot the uh, Homebridge server. And then that's it. Now you should be able to go to your home app in your phone, open it up, and you should be able to see the, the WiseCam streaming into your home app. And that's it. Well, I like the Homebridge installation on the Raspberry Pi. It was very easy to do and uh, really didn't take me long at all. Perhaps uh, 10 minutes just to do the flashing of the card and plugging it in. After that, was just a hooking up of the wise cams and that also didn't take very long at all so give it a try i hope you like it well that was really great ed you know i gotta go ask pat what were we doing faffing about in the terminal there doing homebridge i don't honestly remember but i'll go ask her anyway i'm really sorry that you didn't get to play with your terminal skills that you learned from your taming the terminal ebook that was a nice little shout out but that is going to wind us up for this week. I want to give big thanks to Ed, Jill, and Marty for making this a fantastic show. I really enjoyed it. Don't forget to send in your dumb questions, comments, and suggestions. You can do that by emailing me at allison at podfeet.com. If you want to follow me on Twitter, at podfeet. Remember, everything good starts with podfeet.com. You can be cool like Richard and become a patron by going to podfeet.com slash Patreon. You want to do a one-time donation instead of a recurring donation, you can do that too at PayPal. How do you get there? Podfeet.com slash PayPal. You want to join our Slack community? So much fun in there. Podfeet.com slash Slack. If you're more of the Facebook persuasion, podfeet.com slash Facebook to get to our Facebook community. And if you want to join in the fun of the live show, head on over to podfeet.com slash live on Sunday nights at 5 p.m. Pacific time and join the friendly and enthusiastic Lucilla Castaways. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.